Good evening, Mendonesia. Good evening, Alex. Oop, do I not have Alex? Oh, the button. Can you got, hear me? Yeah, the button got pushed as I lifted the pot, I think. Hello, Alex. I'm Doug Livingston. This is Alex Aragon. This is the Renewable Energy Hour. How's it going this evening? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I had a mellow day today for myself for a change. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I wanted a mellow day today. I, uh, I drove from Mendocino County to L.A. on Sunday. Oh, man. Which is a long drive for one day, ending in the grapevine. Hiked, hiked, ar- hiked, hiked around uh, three hours of hilly campus at UCLA and then drove to San Diego and hiked around campus again and then drove back to the Central Valley. And then, who, who, yes, colleges? this is my daughter, Claire. She's checking out hey, Claire. checking out the places she got accepted to uh, that she's still interested in after financials come through. Yeah, that's the challenge. That is a challenge. Yeah, it was interesting uh, that the ones she got turned down to were the really expensive ones who looked at our income and said, nah, they won't be able to afford it. Let's not even offer Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking of the bills, don't we have some underwriters you need to talk about? Um, uh, we did. I read them. Oh, we did. Okay. That was quick and easy, though. You, you weren't, I you weren't I couldn't hear. You weren't hearing during the, uh, after I potted you down? I heard some of it. Oh. All right. All right. Well, so uh, we want to do some recapping the old shows and, and a little bit of discussion about the role of government carrots and sticks. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention is we've been trying to get Aptera to come and do an interview. Uh, Aptera, the electric car uh, company, but they have not been available because they've been getting their new products on the line, online and produced. Uh, so they've been really busy. Hopefully we'll be able to pick them up sometime next month. Uh, we can certainly uh, talk about them a little bit along the way, maybe today, this evening. Um Couple of things that we talked about the last two shows. We had uh, we had the guy from uh, Gravity Storage, uh, the Gravity Pumped Water Storage uh, Systems, and then uh, the last show was with Mike Pratt from Mendocino College uh, Automotive Technologies Department. Um, we talked to him about a lot of uh, a lot of smog equipment and different. Uh, you know, different uh, rules and regulations that came on that made the car industry really, really boom and really, you know, develop new, cleaner, more efficient, more powerful vehicles. Um, well, it was interesting. Some, some of the first ones weren't about more powerful. They actually degraded the performance, but yeah, reduced yeah. reduced the smog. At the time, they were looking at the nitrous oxides and the smog-producing stuff, and they weren't thinking of carbon dioxide as as a problem. Yeah, those you know, back looking back at Los Angeles and the San Francisco Bay Area back in uh, you know, 1965 and 1970. L.A. That my grandfather was, my grandfather when I was born called us all smog eaters. Smog eaters. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like bootling. Californians are all smog eaters for sure. Well, no, in in bootling, uh, if you're from the coast, you're a fog eater. <laughs> How about that? Well, the rest of us were all smog eaters. Yeah, we, but, uh, we didn't have the traffic. We were fog eaters. But in the Bay Area, in L.A., 
got L.A. was it was amazing. I remember the first time I was on a plane that landed in L.A., and out the right side of the window, the clouds were white, and out the left side of the window, the clouds were brown. So the first smog equipment that got mandated was trying to clean that up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, see, seeing is believing. People can see that. Know mm-hmm. um, that decreasing their quality of life because they can actually see when it's bad. They can feel when it's bad. Uh, so the original smog equipment was really seemed to be fixed, fixated on particulate matter. And, uh, and nitrous oxides, because those, those did chemical reactions that created smog. Yeah, so part of that was making uh, making engines burn more completely, rather than just letting all the exhaust come out the other end. They were, they were. Uh, it was it was an EPA program that actually said, "Hey, we need to clean this up." Now, how would that have happened if it wasn't for a government rule? Well, it was. A lot of people- it was the Federal Clean Air Act, signed by yeah. Nixon. Yeah, it was something that was designed to. Improve life for America, for Americans, you know, for people, so they can breathe better and such. Uh, without the government mandate on this, how how would this ever come to happen? Uh, I can't think of any any incentives that would have been for business for the business for the auto manufacturers to put a bunch of extra money into developing new things at that time would actually decrease the performance of their vehicles. Uh, you know, it actually had to be mandated though. To, from the state, from the federal government, to say, "Hey, we need to do something about this." Uh, you know, there's a lot of because who because it was political... a, such a big problem. It was such yeah. a clearly big problem, and now the what problems different. It's now the problems. You know, CO two emissions, which were not part of their original focus, and you know, over the last shoot, 30, 40 years. Uh, energy efficiency standards have increased and that's not just about toxic pollutant emissions that's about efficiency and hence less co2 emissions right now a lot of those uh, incentives come up just by being uh, expensive you know gas prices being high mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, i'm sure that uh, people are driving the, uh, less right now the, the plug-in hybrids are really uh, attractive right now. The cars that can, like a, a what is it, a Prius Prime. Mm-hmm. I've heard of people getting 105 miles per gallon on those. Uh, oh, the gas the, yeah. Well, the, the, they're not counting the electricity, but. Right. So they are getting some. You know, uh, that's kind of meaningless number. More more important is that, you know, they have indeed driven, you know, a thousand miles on a quarter a tank of gas. Right, right. Just by putting but, all the technology out there and making it as good as possible. Well, they have to they have to plug in and draw from the California energy supply or their off-grid supply. Um, yeah, hopefully sure. their California supply is personally subsidized with solar. Right. They could have uh, an array on their house or whatever that creates enough uh, energy to meet their driving needs too it's possible mm-hmm. oh yeah no. I, i've had a lot of system designs where this is what we're current con- currently consuming but we're going to add a electric vehicle and this is the model we're getting it gets such and such uh miles per kilowatt hour of charging and we plan on driving this many miles per week how much more should we get solar to cover it yeah, 
point it just becomes all a bunch of numbers and figuring out what you what you actually need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can generally convert your kilowatt hours to how many miles uh, you can drive. So, if you figure your your cost of producing a kilowatt hour of solar or how much it's going to cost you to buy from the grid. In most cases, it's going to be cheaper than it would be to do it with gasoline. Oh, God, so, in almost all cases, even in no solar, 100% coal. It's yeah. even, it's even in those cases, more environmentally friendly. Yeah, I just did some and, calculations for a client of mine who uh, has a 38-kilowatt uh, generator, uh, propane-fired generator on her place uh, that she uses as, as a backup for her solar power system. But she also has an electric vehicle that she plugs into it occasionally. And, uh, you know, if she needs to get a long ways, you know, she, sometimes she doesn't have the sun, so she'd fire up the generator. And cost-effective-wise, it's cheaper for her to burn gas and burn the propane in her generator to charge her electric vehicle, it's still going to be cheaper than it would be to be driving a car that gets 30 miles per gallon of gas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So, they are cheaper. And that's and, and you're just talking the gas versus electricity costs. It's, it's, right. it's lower cost overall because there, you don't have to do oil changes. You don't have, oh, well, I'm thinking in terms of an all-electric. You don't have to do oil changes. You don't have an exhaust. You don't have uh, transmission. You don't have hell. You don't have as much brake maintenance because most of the braking is done with the magnetic field instead of the pads. Yeah, if I think back twenty years ago, we didn't have many electric vehicles around back then. Uh, mostly just kits that people were making. So picture what's happened in the last 20 years going from uh, you know a very small handful of electric vehicles to having a you know a fleet of millions of them on the road now today and what caused the difference well a lot of it seems to have been uh, development by people you know like Elon Musk and those guys uh, pushing uh, electric vehicles so they're who is massively familiar. funded by the federal government and had incentives for the buyers from the federal government. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, incentives that went into the auto industry. It wasn't just incentives. It was actually uh, the carrot and stick, both at work here, where a manufacturer had to have a certain average uh, miles per gallon Mm -hmm. of their fleet. And so, you know, there's a lot of gross polluter, big, huge vehicles on the road. And that's where the money was for the big car companies was in those big fuel hogs. Yeah, so in order to sell those, they also had to sell really clean burning vehicles. So they could get it, you know, so they could make some electric uh, vehicles and zero emission vehicles, and then they could sell their big, huge clunkers also. So uh, it was that, uh, is that carrot or stick or a little bit of both? It was a little bit of both. It was, it depended on who you were. But during that time, it allowed the uh, the EV industry to mature and to get new products out there and to you know expand, have more charging stations, have more infrastructure. But you know, it required have have more production volume and drop the price. Yeah, this is something that required mandates though to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Without that, well, I, I can I can think. Oh, it wasn't just mandates. It was you know there was you know seventy five hundred dollar tax credit and. There were a lot of carrots out there. There were more carrots than sticks. But the carrots went to consumers, yeah. not so much to manufacturers. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in general, I think when the carrots go to the manufacturers, it's often dubious. 
Right. Yeah. Well, that's what happened with the uh, LED light bulbs. And there's a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of government incentives. To, uh, originally, you could buy your own light bulbs and send in for rebates, but they decided to streamline it to make it so the rebates went to the manufacturers and they sold them for less to begin with. And, yeah. Well, in that know, case, talk, I, I understand that one because it was a nightmare of administration costs per bulb, whereas if they pre-did right. it, if they pre-did it and had every single bulb they sold count. Uh, more bulbs got sold, and that was what counted. Yeah. One of the things that Mike Pratt mentioned when we were talking about the carrots and sticks was the uh, Cash for Clunkers program, or the Obama-era car allowance rebate system. The start of cars is the one called Cash for Clunkers, where basically if you had an old vehicle, uh, you could could get a big rebate on it that you could then use as a down payment toward buying a new car. now that got a lot of old junker cars off the road, and it also helped auto manufacturers at the time when, you know, when they were really struggling. Uh, there's been some uh, debate about how effective it was for you know, auto manufacturers, except it really did, you know, get them to sell a lot of vehicles right then. But after the after the program was over, there weren't so many sold for a little while. Oop! Did I just lose Alex? Alex, are you there? Still got me? Oh, you came back. I'm, I'm here. I'm hearing strange beeps, okay. but you were gone for a bit. Skype, Skyping away. Skype, yeah. you, you, you Skyped out. So, uh, yeah, the, the um, where was I? I was talking about the programs, the incentives. Um, ah, I lost my train of thought. Nope. Oh, these zero emission vehicles. Yeah, so right now they're still... Uh, ZEV uh, incentives available in California. You can get uh, $2,000 for battery EV. Uh, you can get $4,500 uh, rebate for fuel cell vehicles or $1,000 for plug-in hybrid or $750 for a zero-emission vehicle uh, motorcycle. So there's still there's still some carrots available, but those are aimed for consumers. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's great for the, for the industry because they get to sell more stuff. They get to put more money into R&D. Uh, there were some other uh, incentives, though, like the, the, the cash for clunkers. That's what I was talking about. Uh, you know, it helped get old junk off the road. Uh, there's also been some different uh, programs, uh, mostly by state, but also the EPA has had grants uh, where they're offering to upgrade, uh, you know, and do some retrofit in existing uh, vehicles. A lot of them, uh, a lot of the programs will actually extend down into businesses. So, like if you had uh, heavy diesel equipment, there's some incentives available to be able to replace that, those. And in some cases, you could retrofit and put electric power into those uh, into those pieces of equipment. You know, like heavy heavy trucks and heavy tractors, that kind of stuff. No shit. Uh, Ooh, I'm not going to hit the button. Uh, my apologies, people. Uh, they they are giving funds to convert diesel vehicles to electric. There are some that are written that way where it can be. Basically, they have to take a look at the vehicle and figure out what the best plan of attack is. And I, I read through, mostly scanning over a whole bunch of different ones. Like there's one from uh, Minnesota. There's uh, one in Texas, and they all have different rules about who can apply and a lot of it's like aimed toward government programs specifically but some of them do extend into the private sector and private business uh, they'll have a certain amount of money earmarked for you know a particular fiscal year and once that money's gone it's over yeah. but those programs do come up and they are getting voted in and being put in 
in lots of different places, you know, including Texas, for instance. You know, Texas isn't known for being the greenest state in the world, but they got more wind. They got a lot of people who uh, have heavy equipment that wouldn't mind getting rebates back. That would be mm-hmm. a good thing for a government to do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Hand, hands <laughs> off my government. Hands off my Medicare. Yeah, don't tell me that I can't drive this old piece of junk. Oh wait, you're gonna give me money for that old piece of junk? <laughs> no, I'll buy take it. Piece? Something new? All right, I'll mm-hmm. do that. So, yeah, people tend to respond to these carrots uh, really well. I, I've seen a lot of uh, environmental programs that have been. Uh, put in you know on the state level and government level where there's a lot of pushback like you know the the rules are trying to make about not being able to use gas generators at home and stuff like that uh yeah there's a lot of people who are a little nervous about that saying oh the government's trying you know gavin newsom's trying to tell me i can't have a gas generator well that's not the way the law is written it's written so that you have to use something the cleanest thing basically you know you if if a non-polluting generator is available that's what you need to get uh but meanwhile if one's not available then you can still use the gas version um but those are laws that are set up that are making incentives making making a market that one's a stick developments that one's a stick (laughs) that one's a stick no my favorite my favorite carrot government incentive was the california rebate program before the federal solar tax existed um, oh, yeah. Even before the rolling blackouts of 2000, there was a program there, but solar was so expensive, people still didn't use it much. But once the rolling blackouts happened, it took off and hasn't, and didn't slow down for a long, long time. They were paying for half of the cost of solar systems. And back then, yeah. that was about what it took to make it a even dubiously reasonable investment. But people yeah, still like did it because oh no, it was eleven dollars a watt when when wow. the rolling blackouts were happening. That's right. You're, you're older than I am, <laughs> and uh, that was eleven dollars an installed non-battery direct grid tie system PV wattage installed price. Holy cow! Um, that was that <laughs> was bet. typical. Oh, I knew people in the in the first year after the rolling blackouts that were the only ones doing it and had a license and any knowledge, you know, who who would charge twenty thirty dollars a watt on new quotes because they were backed up for a year. Yeah, and some people would Cheers. say yes, <laughs> and they'd move to the front of the line. Right here, just uh, just uh, last year, a year before, we had the SGIP program that was uh, putting out uh, rebates for uh, putting uh, battery backup on houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, anybody could apply to it. Then they started tightening it up to be uh, just people in areas that were, you know, uh, well, either agricultural or else uh, places where there had been fires or there had been a certain number of rolling blackouts. And uh, then they tightened the restrictions and so it could only be available for low income. But with well, those programs, it really made this boom on the backup power industry where people are able to afford these big new battery systems. Oh, a lot of people have been putting them in without ever getting a grant. Right. I I think that's that's a bigger percentage of the market is not the SGIP. It's it's people who could afford to do it and wanted it and did it without any grant. What the SGIP program did, though, 
is it made certain rules, uh, made certain uh, you know thresholds that they had to be able, that the battery systems had to be able to operate with them, and everybody scrambled. All the all the manufacturers scrambled to make it so that their equipment would meet, meet those, those requirements. Yep, yep. There was the same sort of stuff that happened in the in that solar tax credit. That if the equipment, you know, wasn't on the list of eligible equipment, which was pretty easy to meet, but it did, you know, require a certain level of quality and war- and warranty. Yeah, it had to have certain warranty requirements. It had to have certain efficiency requirements. And, uh, but I, I, know, then, then I, they're able to uh, move forward. I guess the point of what I wanted to say about the soul. I'm sorry, are you there? I heard you say I lost you. Yeah, I'm there. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, was that uh, was that that when they started it was eleven dollars a watt and they were paying half the cost of the system. They had a really sensible phase-down program where people could see ahead of time instead of these all-or-nothing cliffs that most subsidies were. And it lasted for a long time. And it slowly phased down a quarter at a time on this, you know, $6 a watt refund or $5 a watt refund. It was, you know, ended up being about 50% of those systems early on. And, And by the time... The program ended completely, that the rebate got down to zero. The cost of the system at the end of that was the same as it was at the beginning of that with 50% of it paid for. And then from there on in, it continued to go down because they had finally ramped up production and there was production volume and competition happening and and everything ramped up and the rest of the country got to do what california did and that ramped it up even further it was it was a beautiful carrot yeah so now we have all these uh incentives pushing for zero emission vehicles for electrics and also partial zeros the uh hybrids and such um one of the big pushbacks against that has been uh you know, what, how are we going to have that much energy on the grid? How are we going to be able to store that much energy? We can't produce you know, uh, renewables 24 hours a day. We need somewhere to store it. Well, that you know, part of that was part of the problem was looking at all the lithium and all the different uh, cobalt and all the different battery uh, minerals that we were going to need. And part of it was going to have to go to vehicles, but part of it was also seen as having to go toward uh, toward backing up the grid for grid storage well that previous uh program we had two two shows ago was the uh pumped water gravity energy storage can can you describe the system for people who didn't catch that show yeah uh if you guys want to take a look on uh, online it's on you can find gravitypower.org uh, but basically it's a pumped water storage system so you use water pumps to store energy, what you do is they would drill a big hole in the ground. I'm talking about a big hole. They're talking 50 to 100 meters across and go down a total of a thousand meters into the ground. And and, and you would have this. And keep huge, keep in mind, they're not drilling out the whole 150 meters. They're they're drilling out a circular saw around the outside edge, leaving the core intact. Leaving a core that is half as high as the total depth of the of the well of the hole they've dug, and that plug becomes a piston, so they can pump water down underneath this piston and lift the piston with pumped water to store the energy. Then, when they want to re- 
recapture that energy. They let the piston fall, basically let it fall, and it pushes water back through the pumps. So the pumps become hydro generators. And with the scale of these things, they're looking to be able to store gigawatt hours of, of energy, multiple gigawatt hours, not just megawatts. You know, enough to run city more than one point twenty one gigawatts. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest uh, was you, talking you, about how uh, there's a plant uh, where they've done this in uh, in England, in Britain somewhere, uh, where they have a pumped water storage system. They're not using this piston. They're just using a high pond and a low pond. So during the day when they're not having peak demand, they pump the water up the hill. And then at peak demand, they let it fall. They let it start to produce power. Well, the peak demand time that they were looking at there in Britain was 4 o'clock. Tea time. So they literally have this pumped gravity storage system that's able to produce extra power right at tea time to make up for all the power that all those little <laughs> hot water kettles uh, start boiling. Hey, uh, It's able to go from zero output to – it was 1,600 megawatt hours, so 1.6 gigawatts. From zero to 1.6 gigawatts in 18 seconds, and I could hold that for six hours. I, I want to – redefine well or or come up with a new word for peak demand because it's misused now peak demand in the US in California still happens at 2 in the afternoon on a hot sunny summer weekday but air conditioning it's air conditioning and that's when the greatest consumption happens but because that's when the greatest solar production happens it's not the peak crisis time for the utility the peak crisis time from the utility in california is happening you know at 6 30 7 30 in the evening when all no the solar has gone offline because we've shaved off the peak demand already there's this new peak crisis time that's not the peak demand, but it's the time when supply and demand are most out of whack. And and that's why we need the storage, is to be able to take excess from those peak demand hours where we're producing more than we need because of solar and put them back onto the grid at, at you know, 8 in the evening. So these pumped water storage systems that we were talking about, they don't take a whole lot of land. I mean, yeah, they take a few acres kind of thing or whatever to, to build them. Uh, but they're not pollutive, so you're not you know, pumping chemicals or and, transporting. And they don't uh, require you know, rare earth metals to be mined from someplace with environmental impact of that. They require some significant construction. Some significant yeah. mining, so to speak. They're looking at they're looking at about a four year process to build one of these things. Uh, now, one one of the big about, ones. I was thinking about it in terms of that there are places where there are battery storage plants set up for the grid, and those batteries have a life you know life expectancy and a life plan. So there are places where there are big battery banks set up to uh, you know store power for the grid. If they could build one of these, you know, pumped water pistons at one of those sites, they could possibly have it ready by the next time they need to cycle in new batteries. Mm. So, I mean, there's there's definitely solutions available. But well, he was talking about coal plants, uh, retiring coal plants as being a semi-ideal place for these because the transmission lines were already there. Of course, if you've got huge battery 
plants they're near those transmission lines too right yeah but these pumped water storage systems that makes it so that there's a whole lot of batteries that are not needed for the grid so that shortage we see uh, look into the future of what we could do with our available uh resources yeah that, that takes a huge amount of the load out of the out of the requirement there so there's a lot more that can be used just for vehicles and there's also been talk of uh, ramping up uh, production of lithium uh you know in, in nevada and places like oregon as well Hell, so there's gonna be some sea. Uh, for sure and you know all that has to be paid attention to and kept clean but uh you know it is coming to a day where we can get away from you know petrol fuels uh there's a lot of people who keep on arguing back saying, oh, well, we have natural gas for the next 100 years you know, if we use it at the rate we're using it and all that kind of stuff. Well, what do we do after 100 years, you know? <laughs> we get well, uh, and, and just burning all that natural gas or, God forbid, all that coal would kill the planet with global warming. And to talk about doing that is to absolutely ignore global warming. Right, yeah, and a lot of people do that because they can't see it. They can't like point to one particular spot where it's happening, you know. But the the natural gas thing, that's used for making fertilizer as well. There's other uses for it besides just vehicles that you know we might want to keep around for you know hundred years plus from now. So to say, oh yeah, well we got a hundred years worth. That's enough. Uh, no, I mean, you know, how many generations do we get to? Do we need to think into the future? Uh, I, I really do see there being an appropriate use of government regulation and rules and laws. And uh, I'm sorry if you think that freedom means that we get to just trash the planet and not leave anything for the next generations. Uh, <laughs> you're not on my team, <laughs> so uh, I, I really want to get it so that people can, you know, not be alienated by the by the sticks. Hopefully, we can figure out ways to bring everybody in, bring the carrots, make it so that everybody gets you know a good meal <laughs> here, so that everybody can like get along and figure out what they really need and what they don't need. Uh, but part of that is we need laws. Uh, the catalytic converters on vehicles, for instance, those, those need to have laws saying your vehicle needs to have them, because without them. Everybody who buys a new vehicle could have a rebate just by taking out their catalytic converter and recycling it right away. Mm-hmm. So hey. the rules say you, know, you have to have one in order to sell it, or you know it's illegal to take it off in the first place. That's a necessary thing. Hey, uh, we're getting phone calls. Um, All right, let's. Talk. I think we should open up the phone lines if you want to join the conversation. Eight nine five two four four eight, and let me take this first one. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, Doug. It's Johanna. Hey. Um, I'm call- hey, what do you call that, that power plant that uses the, the, the moving piston? What do you call that again? Well, if you look at line, there's a uh, gravity power, uh, gravity storage. Gravity, power. okay. Gravity, gravity storage. Okay, that's the word I was looking for. Well, the reason I, I just wanted the word for it because I'd forgotten what what it was called. Uh, I loved that show when you did that show about gravity storage. That guy sounded like he really had his stuff together. It was a great and, guest. And you know, yeah. And you know what the, the most the most impressive thing for me is when he when he talked about uh, how the materials and the mechanical things used in this. Are very similar to to hydropower plants in in the sense that you know that that they're installed once and then they last forever and ever and ever, you know. Mm-hmm. So you don't have you, you don't, don't have, have to have keep to, replacing have, those batteries. 
those exactly. monster banks of batteries that were ridiculously expensive at the beginning. Yeah. Barely so, pay know, for and, and they require, as you said, they require all kinds of material that, that has, you know, conflict situations involved with sourcing them. Uh, and that, that, that comes, you know, from countries that may not necessarily, you know, be amenable to some other countries. And it's, it's just, it's just a whole nightmare if we're trying to oh. outfit the whole world with batteries. And I loved you pointing out that it filled a niche of a, of you know the. Well, I'm thinking in terms of it uh, using stuff that already existed from existing industries yeah. and used labors and skills from two dying industries, coal mining and and oil extraction. Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 use and use uh, materials that are that are mostly you know already there like rock and and earth and and things like that uh, and and you know the the, the 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 relatively small amount of steel and and concrete that has to be brought in is a one time thing mostly you know last it's a one time thing he yeah. said it, it he said it yeah. it typically involved a significant amount of of concrete that was probably the biggest carbon footprint of the manufacturing besides the energy to do the the coring right and you know the thing the thing about batteries you know the people who advocate these big battery systems they they argue well batteries can be recycled but you know that all takes energy Mm -hmm. and even just building a battery factory in the first place to manufacture those batteries i've been following the gigabit factory that that musk is building in germany near berlin it was a nightmare it's a nightmare to get the permit for everything, and they had to clear whole forests to build it. Um, and and here we're talking about somebody going into an existing coal, you know, retired coal power plant infrastructure and taking advantage of that infrastructure and and building something sustainable. I just love the idea. I just wanted to share that. Hey, thank you. Yeah, it, it got us excited too, as you can tell. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, that's that's really one of the missing pieces of this puzzle. I just cut off a caller. Oh no! This one came back too fast to be that caller calling back. But caller call back. Hello, new caller. You're on the air. Hi there. This is Henry. How hey are Henry. You, Doug? Hey uh, Henry, my former landlord. Yes, indeed. It's been what seventeen, eighteen years. Yes. Well, we still remember those good old days. Don't we? <laughs> And I just want to thank you for um, the last time I called, I said a bad word on the open air. Oh, was that and, you? And, I and I hadn't recognized your voice at the time. That, that was me. Well, I just did it tonight. I know. I heard. I was so happy. <laughs> I, I apologize to my audience. Fortunately, it was one of the less offensive ones. It, it, it meant poo. No, it's conversational anymore. You know, it's, yeah. it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult world when we have yeah. to be really, really perfect. Well, I get in trouble with my siblings who still have young kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to uh, say thank you for the show. This is really a, an interesting conversation. Uh, we have a Chevy Bolt, and we love it. We we are not. We are on the grid. We do not have solar panels. Uh, you know, we're of a certain age, so to invest in solar at this point is, you know, a little bit questionable for us. But 
That being said, we, we did investigate. Uh, you know, I got hooked into calling somebody on Facebook. You know, an ad that was showing up on Facebook, and they were very responsible in their in their conversation. And what they were wanting to do is put up, put up some uh, some hard solar uh, panels. Okay, one of the things that drew me to that company was the video that they showed where they were laying out shingles, solar shingles. Now, that attracted me. The solar panels didn't attract me for a couple of reasons. Aesthetics. One is, well, the aesthetics is not the, the horrible thing. The, the, the problem is that they wanted me to cut down a couple of trees, and I don't want to. I have a beautiful oak on the south the, side of the house. The shingles don't need you to cut down the trees? Uh, well, that's what I'm... That's what I want to ask about. I want to find out from the experts, um, are there microinverters that allow certain types of electric generation on your roof to be partially shaded from time to time and still generate enough electricity to be meaningful? Microinverters and module-level optimizers on string inverters. Both are doing what you're talking about, but nobody makes such technology that's cost-effective so small as shingle level. Okay. So I'm amazed that these people are claiming that their product they does better. No, they didn't claim anything. They didn't claim. They just they were showing it as an example of what could go on the roof, and then once I plugged into their process, they you know they did a, a, a you know a. Google Earth search of my house and found a couple of trees. I got a madrone and an oak that would shade, especially in the winter. Summer, maybe not so much. But they wanted the, I think they wanted a 365 uh, clear path to get the generation that they were, you know, that they were wanting to give me. Yeah, uh, with the shingles. Well, uh, with anything. Well, they, see, okay. The come on was with the shingles, mm-hmm. but once I called them, what was offered were the panels. My experience is the shingles have never been even close to competitive. Okay, um, and, and, and they're more expensive. They're nightmarish to configure. They never look as good as you expected them to look <laughs> uh, because they're coming up against other roofs that hip-roofed off of the roof that's pointed the right direction and the interface is hideous, and God forbid one of them fail. Oh, my God. Imagine the maintenance. I'm not a fan of of integrated shingles. Um, I I think if you've got a shade problem, absolutely pursue a microinverter or string inverter with with module-level optimization, they call it. Say that last phrase again. Module level optimization. You basically use an old school inverter style that's taking, you know, 13 or so modules per string at a fairly high voltage. But each module has the DC side of the microinverter on it. And all of them feed together to one big inverter. And and that's, you know, competitive with the microinverters. I I would say go either way. But if you've got a shade problem, absolutely, it's worth looking at one of those two options. And you will do substantially better. Are there any names that you can provide that work with this kind of stuff? Alex, you're, you're in the field more. Uh, what are your favorites? I can think of a handful. 
I do a lot of Enphase uh, installations. Uh, I would say Enphase is probably the biggest microinverter. Yeah. They have whole back whole battery backup situations, too. SMA has some also. What was that uh, name? SMA. Oh, it's a are, company. I don't know what it stands do for. They, but. Do they still do that? I thought they stopped doing that. Oh, did they? I haven't installed any of theirs in a long time, so I yeah, couldn't say. Yeah, I think they did a brief pulse and then got out of it, and are do, and now solely are doing uh, DC level optimization with their string inverters that already existed, and yeah. and quite well on that front. I've used them a bunch of times, so you know on those on those systems, the shaded module, the DC level optimizer says, "Ooh, I'm not putting out squat." And uh, so I'm going to get out of the way of the other panels. Got it. Yeah. I just looked it up. There's a few other uh, brands that I recognize, like APS. And, uh, Solar Edge is certainly a good one. Uh, on, that's not microinverter. That's uh, yeah, module-level optimizers with a string right. inverter. Yeah, there's, there's other ones out there, but yeah, Enphase is by far the one I'm most familiar with. It's the name, yeah, yeah. Years ago, they they their stock price was low, and my kid bought some, and then he it, it, it got flaky. He sold, and now he's kicking himself because <laughs> it's really good now. <laughs> well, did it, you know? So it, it went up. It went up. It was a good investment. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Hey, take care, Henry. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. Henry. Eight nine five two four four eight. Now. Uh, the microinverters came about without a carrot or a stick. Yeah, they just uh, they were looking at uh, filling a niche of places that got partial shading. Well, I guess it was a little bit of carrot. They were thinking in terms of a bigger market share by performing better than the competition. Yeah. The other thing they were able to do with that was to uh, make it so that lease programs had uh, a better module-level um, monitoring. They could actually mm-hmm. see, oh, but... You know, which which ones are operating right? The old string inverters, if you had a failed module, it could take out a significant portion of the... And you didn't know where the, the problem was. But, right, uh, it was micro That is an advantage, but are. that's pretty rare. And, and I do want to emphasize that the string inverters without module-level optimization are still cheaper than micro inverters. And if you don't have a substantial shading issue, it may not... Except that modern systems are now supposed to have uh, modular level... Uh, only only if it's on the residential roof. Right, which is a lot of systems. A lot of systems, yeah. yeah. And it's one way to get around that. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi, Doug, this is Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Hi. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm here, but I figured it was... <laughs> I just saw his face in person. He's walked into another <laughs> office here and is calling... Anyway, um, I had this thought of talking about um, transition to electric vehicles. And, you know, so there is, you know, the, the storage thing and infrastructure and grid and supporting mm-hmm. it all. But uh, there's this other aspect of it that I haven't heard anybody talk about, which is it's the cultural aspect of it, you know, because we're used to going to, you know, you go to fill up your gas tank and it's like five minutes unless there's a line and you're out of there, you know. So, you know, commuters and, you know, the millions of people that are going to be driving in the cities, 
there, you know, so the fastest charger there is is still 20 minutes or mm-hmm. something like that. No, and, so, and and the wrong charger can be 32 hours. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> you know, in practice, I think, you know, I mean, it'll, you know, it'll get absorbed into the culture. But one thing I think is going to happen is, you know, it's like Howard Johnson's, you know, the mm-hmm. way they used to. Uh, be the the universal concession on the tollways, and you know there'll be all these businesses that will offer. You know, you could go to a spa. You can plug in. Well, it's already happening. So, but it's going to be a major. You know, if somebody's looking to invest in something, <laughs> you know, some car chargers. You know, well, businesses that you know, restaurant. You know, I don't know, whatever convenience. 7-Elevens or whatever. Oh, no, it's going it's to be the restaurant, not the 7-Eleven, because there won't yeah, yeah, be enough charging yeah. done in the right. two minutes you're getting your coffee yeah, from the 7-Eleven. But if you're but sitting down for a meal, you can you can get charged at their high-speed charger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's gonna, that's going to be a whole interesting cultural shift there, I think, you know, because there'll be so many people that are going to have to spend that time or do something with that time <laughs> while they're waiting for their cars to charge. Anyway, Part of that's going to be yeah. mitigated, though. Um, I keep on talking about Aptera, uh, the car company that we're trying to get on here, the electric vehicle manufacturer. They have a model where they're using these pretty lightweight vehicles. They're two-passenger vehicles with three wheels. They're really high-performance uh and they have solar panels built onto them. Uh, they're quoted to be able to get about uh, about 40 miles wow. per day. The driving out of them, out so of out of the solar panels all by themselves. But the battery banks are incredible for the low weight vehicle in terms of range. Yeah, they're talking about mm-hmm. a thousand mile range on some of them on, so on, on the highest battery bank one. Yeah, so with a thousand mile range, though, how often do you need to plug in with your with your daily driving and with your you know weekly commute? You might only need to plug in once a week, especially if the first forty miles are free. Mm-hmm. And if we really had a smart grid, you could plug in and, you know, you could schedule to do your charging during the, you know, most off-peak possible moment. The most right. least supply-demand crisis. What do we call that, Alex? It's not off-peak anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are we going to call it? The, uh, the low-line de- Demand crisis. Anyway, it was just a thought, you know, I mean, that that's one scenario, but the other scenario of, you know, people, businesses having to accommodate all these people that are going to be in the meanwhile and waiting for their uh, solar panel uh, charged cars are going to have to be doing something while they're waiting for their cars to charge. It was just a thought. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good I, I think by picking up the next caller, I cut off Jamie. Sorry, Jamie. You can come smack me in a minute. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, is that me? That's you. Yes. Oh, cool. I want to run this by you. I got a little teeny cabin and uh, running off of two golf cart batteries, six-volt golf cart for a 12-volt system. And I got um, a 425-watt array. That sounds and, like Alex's uh, first rental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's working just wonderfully. I mean, I got no complaints. You're not it's running much. So I have a, I bought a, you know, a new Simplify 12 volt battery. Oh, wow. It, yeah. 
paid paid like fourteen hundred dollars for the thing. You know, a couple of years. You've ago. got the most expensive twelve volt battery in the county that's been put in, in the past I, fifteen years. I think I do. Um, um, Wait, but but anyway, so I'm thinking of swapping that one uh, twelve volt lithium ion battery. I can't remember what the wattage is on that thing. It's uh, twelve hundred watts or something like that. Or, uh, you're probably it was probably watt hours. Watt hours or something like yeah. that. Um, and maybe one point two watt hours or kilowatt hours. I can't remember well, what it was. I, I'm assuming it's about equal with two two golf cart batteries. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, they're like at twelve volts. In terms of usable capacity. Um, yeah, see, you can cycle it way down. Yeah, I mean, with fifty percent cycling on the golf carts, you're probably around. Uh, yeah, you're you're probably around twelve hundred watt hours with with uh, two golf cart batteries cycling fifty yeah. percent. So twelve hundred watt hours of of uh, lithium ion cycling hundred percent would be the same, but I wouldn't cycle them hundred percent. Yeah, you yeah probably, I, pro- I don't probably should only cycle them 70, 80% tops. No. And the yeah. other thing is they'll recharge faster during the day, right? I mm-hmm. might get two charges up. And more, and more efficiently. Um, I remember yeah. uh, Jeff Oldham, if he's listening, he's, he was just absolutely astounded when he finally shifted from, from lead-acid batteries to lithium-ion batteries. How many more kilowatt hours per day he actually generated because... Because, you know, it didn't spend as much yeah. time tapering off the charge because the batteries couldn't accept it as they were approaching full. And it took me so long to yeah, old goats to understand that. <laughs> well, no, I'm still nervous. I'm still nervous about the cost effectiveness, Alex. Uh, I'm less nervous yeah. than I was two years ago. This um, is the guy who makes his money by going out and servicing it. Servicing the old ones. <laughs> yep, that's right. true. Yep, there may but, be but here, conflict here, of interest. Here, here. But, but I did I did put lithium ions in for my father in law this year. But here's the thing, um, uh, the um, so I'm going to swap out the two old golf carts for this one super duper lithium ion battery, which means, and I got this old trace uh, charge controller that you know won't do uh, the profile or the. Trajectory. Yeah, you need a new charge controller. controller. So I got to buy a new charge controller. I'm looking at the, um, what is it, the kid, the um, the small little um, Outback kid. Is it the Outback kid? Yeah, I, it's a midnight. It's a midnight, yeah. Midnight kid, yeah. And the beauty, that doesn't have a fan in it, does it? It's, it's, I don't. No. The, okay, good. Because the beauty of this is, I don't like. I have a funky little sh- battery shed that's sort of leaking, and the mice are all over it. I could set the lithium-ion battery right under my kitchen table with the charge controller, right under my kitchen table. You know, in in the house. As long my, as my contractor's license just checked out. Yeah, right? yeah, his contractor license is out of the picture. <laughs> we cannot advise you this is okay. Oh, okay. All right. No, I'm a contractor, so I... I, I you understand where we're coming from. Yeah, I know where you're coming from, yeah. 
So here's the other deal. Now, I'm on 12 volts, and I'm thinking, now, the array starts at a 12-volt system. The kid can only take 30 amps or something at max, something like that. From 30 amps on the battery side. Yeah, so... Well, no, so if I'm, it's a... What was... Did you figure out what the amp hour rating of the battery was, Alex? The kid charge controller can only move 30 amps on the battery side. Oh, charging. Uh, yeah, charging. But if I if I hook these panels in series, I'll be I'll be at 48 volts. Can the, that, the, the can the, the kid, kid step down? That. Yes. The kid can the step kid down, can, right? 48 yeah, the kid can have a maximum of 150 volts input, that, and it can step down to the battery. That volt. doesn't change the amount of energy significantly being delivered to your bank. It, it well, yeah. get best line line drop. The line volts. better line drop, but you'd also have worse losses if there's any shading on the array. No, I got no shade. No. Um, cool. I cool. Got, yeah, you'll you you'll get you'll get less line loss. But that's hopefully only a couple percent improvement. This isn't a big decision driver. Yeah, okay, so here's the other caveat. Right now, my uh, array is three 75-watt panels and two 100-watt panels. Oh, you don't want to wire those mixed together in series. You're better off staying, if presuming your wire is big enough to handle it. Yeah. Well, without it, it, crazy line loss, you're probably better off staying the way you're wired. Really? Okay. Now wait a minute. Hang on. I've got two more hundred watt panels. They're not the same manufacturer. Oh, so what you need to do is go out and buy a fourth seventy-five watt panel. <laughs> really? And and have two That's strings of four. That are the same amperage rating within each string. Okay. So you're saying... Uh, <laughs> Alex is cringing. <laughs> you can spend half as much as you just did on your battery. I'm, I was thinking, we're doing all this crazy stuff for all this schwank stuff, and you're buying that expensive of a battery? Uh, um, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I already got two, two panels. Two so you're saying buy panels double your array. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could get two modern panels for five hundred dollars yeah. that would double yeah, your array, and and, and put all your old panels in storage. In storage? Mm -hmm. oh, come on, doing nothing? Yeah, uh, it would be cheaper. Okay. All right. Well, not necessarily. I mean, if if you could easily put on. One more 75-watt panel and those two more hundreds that you already have, even if they're from a different brand, as long as they're 36 cell, they'll perform relatively well in two strings of four as long as each string is the same panel. Okay. Um, so and, and if you don't, if you mix and match in the ways you were talking about, you know, like, what do you have, three, three 75s and... Two 100s. Already, already up there. Now, how are you going to wire that for forty-eight volts? Uh, I got well, they're twelve volts. They're twelve volt panels. And so, how are you going to wire five twelve volt panels or six twelve volt panels for forty-eight volts? No, I'm not. I'm going to wire four one hundred watt panels mm -hmm. for 
12 volt panels for 48. Uh, oh. But the problem is the panels are not the same manufacturer. Not a big deal. They'll be slightly different amperage ratings, and you'll lose the difference between the two. But that will be slight. Okay. That will be That's slight. Good. You do not want to mix That's the 75s in series with the 100s. That's a mistake. No, no. no. That's what I was saying. I, I have, I do have on another system two 100 watt panels. I can bring up, get rid of the 75s. Put those on another system, all the three of them. So then I have four, two, which are different manufacturer, but they're all 100-watt, 12-volt panels. Wired in series, right? Mm-hmm. And then, okay, and, and that's 48 going into the kid, and I'm home free. Well, home, f- <laughs> home free is usually delusional, but... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think you're as good as we could send you out the door. Oh, good. <laughs> Alex, do you have do you have further comments or reservations? I, I don't, except that I cannot advise get, further without seeing. <laughs> without seeing. The floor? No, okay. he, he wants to see before he's going to give any more opinion. I'm, okay. I'm a little loose from the hips with, you know, un, unseen advice. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot, guys. That 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 helped a lot. I sure just, enough. Take care. Thank you. Hey, we are we are not paying attention to the clock, and uh, so we're going to say good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. See you in two weeks. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX Philo ninety point seven FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah ninety one point five FM, and Fort Bragg at eighty eight point one FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.